Uh, I've asked Michael if he'll do this with me because um, I don't, again, know where the future, where we're going to be. Jesus knows. But I've so admired the way he's gone through what the Lord's led him through, uh, his character, his attitude, because I've probably been so in the flesh, and I've I've just learned and watched him and talked to him, and I appreciate so much. So, guys, who knows where, go, where we're going with all of this, but uh, I just thought, you know, if we, we could just at least have a conversation about it now, these guys go back in all different directions, and maybe there'd be something the Lord would give to them to take back with them. So quickly, Lord Jesus, we put this conversation before you. Uh, Lord, you, uh, Lord, have been with the church for 2,000 years. Lord, you promised never to leave us or forsake us, be with us to the end of the age. And Lord, you knew these days were coming. You watched the church go through all kinds of seasons, Lord, some certainly way more brutal than this in many ways. But, Lord, we're here now, and uh, we want to traverse this ground in a way that honors you, Lord. And it's it's new to us, Lord. We're not used to being in a land where there's persecution and threats. And so, Lord, many of our brethren around the world, are, this is normal territory for them. But, Lord, for us, uh, this is new territory. So, Lord, quickly in our conversation, we ask that you be with us, that you speak to us, that you would... Sow into our hearts the things, Lord, you would have us store there and lay away, Lord, for the the days that are ahead of us. So, Lord, we just look to you quickly and pray in your name. Amen. Amen. One of the things I, I asked Michael, we were talking occasionally, I said, Michael, you know, like, how does your wife feel about all this? You know, your kids, you got all this threats, you got all these there are personal fines on his life. There's over two million in the church. And he said to me, he said, you know, we kind of talked about this when it all started. And our lawyer told us, you, you might be fighting a losing battle here. He said, but we talked and we said, if we, if we lose the church, we lose the church. If we lose our house, we lose our house. But if we can put our head down on the pillow at night and know that Jesus was pleased with us that day, that's enough for us. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm so not there, you know. And, and I'm, my, you know, but I was so amazed at your answer and the genuineness of it. I, I, there's no, I didn't think at all you were just saying that, trying to be spiritual. Maybe you were, but I didn't, I didn't think it at all. So you just kind of talk to us about that, you know, that's a very real thing thing and uh, I just admired your character in that answer you know I thought every pastor in our country needs to hear this I think when you know you go to conferences like this it's uh, it's where you get you know encouraged for times like today you know I've been coming I think to the conference here for six years and of course we've had persecution in our town for a long long time two percent go to church and so I think we, we've been dealing with just persecution. You live in Santa Clara County, the Bay Area. I mean, you, you know who the Christians are. You know who the Christians aren't. And, you know, since we've never really have loved so much the area, we love the people. I mean, it's beautiful. But I think we've always just looked at it as we're strangers and pilgrims, you know. And I think, uh, honestly, 
the last 20 years, I failed so many times in the church. I keep asking, Lord, bring somebody. I ask my dad to come back. You know, pastors come and visit. You want to stay. You know, these people are wonderful. It's like, you know, I'm always just, just I think, holding so lightly. Years ago, I don't know who said it, hold light, all things um, lightly, nothing tightly. And I think the ministry is something that's always been that to me growing up as a pastor's kid, of course. Looking at ministry is it's relational, but... It really starts with our relationship with the Lord. And so every day when I think about, hey, who am I, who am I working for and what is my life about? And I remember um, reading the New England Primer and uh, hearing, I think it was from David Barton, about the picture in there of this guy who's being burned at the stake. And then some years back, uh, I think it was about 20 years ago now, uh, my dad had done a genealogy in his life, or someone had done it for him, and found out that we have a direct descendant to John Rogers. And my wife says, "That's where it comes from," you know. And I, I think when I realize, you know, you have a family member, or you, you know, you you know what it is to to see people lay down their life, and and I think, you know, like we heard Dan yesterday, you know, you go through real persecution, and we haven't seen anything like what's going on in a lot of the world today. But to be with those people. I just think, you know, how can I preach something that I don't practice and don't believe? And if it doesn't hit me, it's not going to hit anybody else. And so I really have to decide that this isn't my home and I really just don't care about it. And I think when I got to that point, it was free. I was free. I was really free. And I think when Brenda and I sat down and, and we, we had been praying about this whole thing, and it was, it was like a decision we just made to, like, what's it worth? What are we doing? What's God called us to do? You know, at the end of your life, all that matters is that our kids walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That they walk in truth. And and I think that example that was set by, you know, relative way back when, he wouldn't leave, he stayed. And I remember um, uh, our staff at the church had given me uh, a, a page out of uh, the Thomas Matthews Bible. And it was, uh, the backside was Deuteronomy, which was, I think, the last message my dad had given when he left. And then I taught on Joshua. And so they had this... Uh, this page, Josh, you know, this Josh's old um, Bible, and I just thought about it through the years I have it in my office, and I think, you know, he died for that. You know, he, he, he gave his life for God's Word, and that's something that it's good to have, those kinds of examples. And I think of Second Timothy 4, you know, to be watching in all things, endure persecution, uh, and, and do the work of an evangelist. You know, I think that if you do that, you're ready to go. You're always thinking, I'm on my way to go. Like, Paul, I'm poured out. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've run my race. And and um, and I think that we just counted the cost. And it's something that we don't do in America. Uh, you know, you go to foreign countries, you come back, and you think, man, I'm glad I'm not, you know, in that country. And and yet God, you know, he wants us to count the costs. And so we really had to go through that. We really had to think, um, you know, uh, you're going to go through this. I had my lawyer call me last night, actually, <laughs> Bob Tyler. <laughs> He's like, they're coming after you again. You know, uh, now it's, um, they're going to want vaccines and records of vaccines and all this stuff and the regulations and all these things. Those are the pressure. It's like, you think it's going to go away. I, I kept I kept thinking for the last eight months or a year that it'll be gone maybe a couple weeks. They'll leave us alone. And it hasn't gone away. And it's like a slow, you know, persecution. But it, um, I've just gotten so numb. I just, you really realize every day, this could all be gone tomorrow. Like I was getting on the plane to come out here, and I remember just sitting in San Francisco, and I was just glad to get on the plane to leave that city, you know, and just like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being at the conference, and really this is like a bit of heaven, and I think if you're focused on, I'm going to get on that plane, I'm going to heaven, 
I could be going to heaven. I'm just waiting for them to call my, my row, and I'm going to get on. And I think you're just eating your food and you're waiting because they're not going to feed you on the plane, you know. And then you're going to arrive and you're going to have the most food you can possibly eat here. And it's going to be the fellowship and the, you know, thousand voices singing and you're looking forward to that. And that helps you endure it and just realize, I don't, I don't care about anything here. I really don't. I don't care. I mean, I, I appreciate the things, but I think we got to that point where, you know, we, we, want, we want our kids to walk with the Lord. Well, I'm learning how you feel about San Jose as we're, we're here because, see, I'm carnal enough. I thought you were saying we're going to do this even if it means losing our house in the church. And I realized you were saying, I hope we do lose our house in the church. <laughs> so um, another question. Uh, you know, the church, and we it's come up in the teachings, I'm so glad, we can so easily get drugged into the political drama that's all around us, because this is tied into that. And the thing that I've sensed with you, you know, the times we've talked, there's no venom towards Governor Newsom, there's no venom towards, you know, somehow you've decided, I'm really just going to be Jesus' representative in the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a participant. I'm a, I'm a bystander. I'm, I'm just watching all of this. What is that? Have you gone through wrestling in your heart with all of that? Has you know, Paul, you know, told us to pray for those in authority when Nero was was sitting there. I can't imagine. I, I gripe about who I have to pray for, and it hasn't been Nero. But I thought I, I really admire your ability to kind of stay out of it politically. And, and and hold on to the kingdom in the middle of all of that. Is has that been wrestling? Has it been hard? I think I, I love America. I love history. You know, every time I come out here, I, I you know bring some guys and we go to look at you know Philadelphia. We go to Independence Hall. I always ask the guys in the green hat. You know, um, cheese what, steaks. Yeah, cheese steaks. <laughs> I'll ask them. You know, what's that book on, on, on George Washington's desk? You know, it's the Bible, and most of the time they don't know. But I think if you know history and you appreciate history, and then you understand that we've been separated from where our country was, and people just don't know the history, um, I, just ha- I just don't want to waste any time, I think, talking about politics, because it's like it's just going to go away. You know, the politicians come and go. And I've been there 20 years now, and I've gotten to know some politicians, and there's some been great ones. Our previous mayor, he'd come to church several times. In fact, one time we had David Barton there, and I said, Mr. Mayor, I think you want to stay this morning because I'm not preaching. It's the best historian alive. And he sat next to me. He stayed. He, didn't, he had somewhere to go. He's all go, I'll stay. And he just was staring at the, at the stage after David was done. And here he speaks two or three languages. He was a Vietnam pilot. Um, he's been a wonderful mayor Christian, and he said to me, he goes, that was the best history lesson I never had. You know, I, he didn't even know the history, and most people don't know the history, and I keep thinking, if I start talking about the politics, you know, and um, the media, they want us to talk about the mass, they want us to talk about everything but Christ. As soon as I start preaching Christ, they just turn the cameras off. You know, they just run, and so it was a way to get rid of them, actually. Um, <laughs> Because it wears on you. I just think at the end of the day, I'd rather just be at home with, with my family. I'd rather just be at the church. You know, I, I don't really care about, um, I don't care about the politics. I mean, I, I want those people to get saved, like Newsom. And, 
you know, once you get to know the politicians, I'm sure some of you have, you realize they're so afraid. You know, they're taking constant polls. They're trying to figure it out. Some of them are really prideful, but honestly, they're completely lost, and they're looking for hope. We were in uh, Evan Lowe's office. He's an assemblyman for the um, state of California, and he's the only open homosexual. And uh, Jim Doman had invited me with some other pastors to go to his office and talk about the bill they were trying to pass, the conversion bill. And so I went, you know, to this thing. And I ended up sitting right in between Jim, who's a, a you know, used to be a homosexual. Now he's a pastor. Uh, he went to seminary, three kids, wife. I mean, huge, wonderful ministry of evangelism. And there's Evan Lowe on my right. I don't know how I got in the situation. He's telling him how God can change his life. And to the whole conversation, I'm just like trying to get out of the room. You know, I'm like, I didn't want to be here. But this guy was mad at, I really, I mean, I'm like no, no one else. Like this guy wanted to get in a headlock. Who does he think he is? Taking away the Bible, telling us people can't be saved. We have a lot of people in the church that have changed. They've, had, they've lived all the lifestyles and they've come through that. And now they love Christ. And it's like, so I told Evan at the end of the conversation, because Jim said, would you pray for Evan? And I'm like, I don't want to touch Evan, you know, let alone uh, pray for him. But I just asked, Lord, if you want me to pray for him, I was thinking of Corey Tinboom saying, you know, Lord, if you want me to forgive this soldier who beat up my sister and is asking for my forgiveness, you're going to have to give it to me because I don't have it. And then her hand goes up, you know, in that story. And it was the same kind of situation. And the Lord just gave me a love for this guy. And I just looked at him and I said, Evan, you know, the only difference between you and everyone else in this room is that we just know somebody you don't know. And you can come to know him and he'll change your life. Because we're not here judging you. We don't hate you. We actually love you. But the answer you're looking for is found in, in, in knowing this person, and it's Christ. And if you want, I'll pray for you. And he says, I do. Would you pray for me? Really? And, you know, I prayed for him, and I, and I believe it was genuine, you know. And, um, and I think that, that they're hurting people, and when you realize they're, they're lost sheep, that they just need a shepherd. And, it, you know, I can get so mad because I think they're the leader when in reality I'm supposed to be the leader, and I'm supposed to be a loving leader not a lording leader or a judgmental or a fighting leader, but one that stands firm on the truth. And like it says in, a, in Ephesians 6, to put the armor on and just stand. It doesn't say go out and start beating people up. And it's tempting to do that. But just to see the people that I've been in their offices and they're lost. They're so lost. And they just they need to see the love of Christ. And they want to see someone get beat up, just like Dan. They want to see someone take a beating and still love them. They're looking for genuine faith. And I think that's something that uh, Paul says. That's why endure. Watch and endure these persecutions because it's through those persecutions. The jailer in Philippi got saved. You know, and, and just so many witnesses that, that, that are watching how we respond to the situation we're going through. So, I, And I have a great staff. You know, it was Spurgeon who said, um, it's not great preachers who make great congregations, but it's great congregations that make great preachers. And I really am thankful for a church who prays, uh, prays for me. You know, they live in an area where they have to pray. And so I just think a lot of what we've gone through is just because of the prayer. It's given us wisdom and patience and peace. And like Isaiah 26, 3, just put our mind on the Lord. He gives us that perfect peace. So it's, it's you know, I think the politics, they're always going to be there. And they're just policy setters. But they're looking for what's genuine and I can't, you know, to, to start getting on who to vote for and all that, it's not going to solve the issue. It's just going to get me in the fray. But if I can stay out of it and just pray and preach the gospel, that's my, that's my job. That's our job, to proclaim 
the good news of the gospel of Christ. So it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's a joy. So. And the, the transition, I mean, when it first hit last spring, we shut down all of our services. We you know everybody was kind of freaked out. We didn't know everybody all in the, the, the old age homes in New York was dying. You know, it just it seemed like a terrible thing. None of us ever faced it. Didn't know what to do. So we cooperated. We shut everything down. Uh, we had the resources to do online study. So we kind of stayed in touch with our folks that way. And then when we started getting towards May, you know, some of the churches were saying, you need to do this. You need to, you know, just we, and we continued to pray. I think we, some, some, some of the guys opened back up in the end of May. I think we were in the beginning of June. Um, we opened back up with every other pew uh, taped off. We gave people the option of mass or no mass. And then we have a separate room. People can go in as only masks. And we found this spray that we spray everything. Supposedly it kills everything for a month. We spray it every week. You know, it's just probably, we're all going to get cancer from that, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, we, we kind of, we shut our water fountains off in the building, and we put uh, Purell dispensers there. We tried to do everything, you know, uh, but it, you know, it came to that point where we thought, we, the, the church needs to gather, the bride of Christ needs to come together. What was, and, and as we did it, we haven't met the, the hassle that you have. Tell me about, or tell us about the transition, because you shut down in the beginning as well, right? We did. When, when President Trump said close for, you know, what was it, two weeks to slow the spread? <laughs> he should have just said it's going to be over a year when Fauci's in charge and you're never going to open again. I don't know. I mean, I think we didn't know what it was. Uh, our Governor Newsom said 30% of California is going to be dead by May. <laughs> Scared everyone to death. I mean, everyone in the panic mode. And, and I think that's what really bothered me is like... You know, if that is even true, is that how you handle it? And then close the churches. That just bothered me. Just didn't say, I'm sure most everyone I talked to, all the pastors like, ah, something's not right. What should we do? You know, and I remember talking to my wife's grandmother, who's in her mid-90s, and she, she was talking about the Spanish flu. And I said, what happened then? Did, you know, did, did everyone shut down, go home? And she says, no. I said, what would you do? She says, we went out and helped people. Did they close the churches? No, they didn't close the churches. And then I remember one time telling her, yeah, and then the governor told us we can't sing anymore. And she says, what country is this? You know, she didn't have the news, so I always had to tell her. But I think seeing the previous generations in our country, you know, willing to do what's right to help people and forgetting about their own health and safety. You know, I think of um, just a father of our um, medicine in our country, uh, you know, uh, Benjamin Rush, he, he didn't leave Philadelphia when there was a huge outbreak of yellow fever. I think he was the only doctor that stayed. And I think that's what we see in the history of our country is the pastors and those that love God putting their life in the line for other people. And and I was just going through that process. What do we do? What do we do? Um, thinking we need to open. We started meeting outside. Uh, we were meeting in the parking lot. You know, Then we were met in a, in a little field in a parking lot. We did that for a while and then come to find out that was illegal. I didn't even, oh, well, you know, it's not even a law, so it's against their mandates, and they were, of course, changing them every day, but we opened up on May 31st and went inside, because I thought all these churches were going to do it, and I'd prayed about it, we'd prayed about it, and we went through a process of just all the guys on the board prayed about it, all of our staff, everyone in our school, and everyone had to say yes, with no pressure, like, how, you know, what's the Lord telling you, and it came back unanimous, 
in the midst of everything. We need to open. People need to be in church. You know, this is what we're here to do. And so that was a, um, it was a process of just waiting and praying. And we did the Zoom thing. And, you know, we were still ministering to people. We left the doors open. We didn't lock the doors on Sunday. People were sneaking in and coming to church. And and uh, we we had, you know, such a big auditorium. And there were 600 people. We thought we can easily spread out. And what happened is, um, you know, the, the, the rules were so stringent we just thought we can't keep up with these rules but the people need to be ministered to and our board all the guys were saying you know what um these are mandates uh you know we need to do what god wants us to do and so we just opened up the church and had masks out and you know the sanitizer i haven't used sanitizer for a year you know i just hate that stuff you know i just like soap and water is good enough for me but let people come in. Let them worship. And, and uh, that's what we started doing. And people started showing up. And uh, next thing you know, I mean, the church is just, is just filling up. And we recommended people to spread out. You know, hey, you're smart people. Um, we let them decide. And, uh, and I think they appreciated that. And as a result, for, man, 10 months, no one got it until uh, any kind of sickness that I know of. Until around like Christmas, I think this last Christmas we had uh, people started catching it. But yeah, it was it was hard I think for everybody. But once we went in, it was so peaceful. We just knew this is what the Lord. And I honestly I I didn't know it. And walking out that first Sunday was really like, am I jeopardizing these people's lives? You know, is anyone going to get sick and die? And that's going to come back on me. And but at the same time, you know, as I prayed and I, and I just saw that the Lord says not to forsake the gathering. You know, just to trust Him to love the people, to encourage them to do these things and be aware. And they're hearing it 24-7, you know, all this thing they got to be afraid of. And when they came in, just the joy that they had and the transformation, I just think by doing that, we were honoring the Lord. And because of that, the people's lives were being touched and transformed. Even before they got into the sanctuary, people just were weeping. And we had a lot of prayer going into it. You know, there's a lot of people praying. And um, the staff was unified. And I just said, look, this is my heart. But I'm not going to make anyone do it. And I don't want to do it. No pressure without all of you. We're going to do this together or we're not going to do it at all. And I think there was just a, a, a peace in that unity. And like uh, Acts 4, you know, when they prayed for boldness to preach the word. They were one heart, one soul. You know, and God gave them great power and great grace was upon them all. And I really believe that's what happened in our situation. Because we prayed, because we really sought the Lord when people came, it was like the grace was upon them. And at the end of the service, I'm like, we got to do this every week. We can't stop doing this. And then by Thursday and Friday, I'm thinking, are we doing the right thing? Are you know, getting together with the staff? We're going through the Bible. We're going through it in two years, and we're all reading through the same page. And that's the number one. I think like in marriage, you want to be on the same page. I think with your staff, you want to be on the same page. And it takes work to be on the same page. And that's what I've been working for because I made so many mistakes. And I'm constantly aware of all the mistakes I've made and how I need to get everyone on the same page. And I'm researching and talking and listening to everybody. How you do it? How do you do it? to get everybody on the same page. And we changed out a lot of the guys that were on our board to be pastors, guys that are in the pulpit. That's who's on the board making the financial decisions. And just to get the church in order, I had all kinds of problems through the years and mistakes I made and not having the wisdom or whatever it was to say, Lord, give me the wisdom, bring the right people. And the Lord just brought all the right people. He brought a guy from King Graves Church. Carson just showed up and he said, hey, I, the Lord just wants me to be here. And uh, Jason from uh, Quakertown and Julia's wife showed up and just said, hey, the Lord wants us to be here. And that was before COVID. It's like they just showed up preparing us for this season. 
And uh, like I said uh, last night, we remodeled everything. I had a guy, Rick Brown, came and helped us with a bunch of things. And we were just prepared to, for, for that time. But it seems like for 20 years, I was just making a mess after a mess after a mess. But when we opened, um, it is like the same thing with the people in the congregation. They were showing up, and they were so thankful we're having church. And by the time they get to you know, Thursday and Friday, they're so worn out. Saturday, they're, they're, they're physically, emotionally distraught. Literally, they're depressed. They come to church on Sunday, and they cry again. They're so thankful to be there. And I was just seeing this going on in my own heart every week. And we just knew we, this is where we need to be. We need to be gathering together. And, uh, and we were just blessed. And I don't know if that was for everyone. I'm not saying that was the right thing. And everyone should have done what we done, had done. I don't know. But uh, for, for many months, the county left us alone. And then I took in a, a church that needed uh, a place to go. And then uh, they were already getting fined. And so the county then went after us. But uh, we had already by that time just knew and saw the fruit of what God was doing and then when we, you know, by the time there's so much fruit and the tax came, we're like, well, how could we stop now? You know, we invited the county to come down and look at everything. Come look at our facility. Come look at what we're doing. We're, we're just trying to help people. And uh, I think they, they didn't like that very much at the time. Now, one of the interesting things to watch, too, is you've kind of been drugged into the spotlight, which... I don't really think you enjoy very much. I turn on TV, oh, there's Michael on Fox News, you know, newspaper. And I know you'd be happy just to live in anonymity for the rest of your life there in San Jose. So when this comes and it starts to become news and you kind of get drugged into that world, which may happen to other guys here, any advice in relationship to that, when it starts to be known and recognized, local authorities or whatever. Yeah, just um, give someone else your name and don't come out of the office. <laughs> you know, I, I just think, um, I, I mean, I didn't want to be on any of these stations or anything, but I just go to, I go to Revelation 12. And how you overcome, you know, the beast, how you overcame, you come Satan is just the the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And I think, you know, just preaching the blood. I think of Billy Graham, you know, he was asked, what's the number one sermon you'd preach if you only had one left? And he says, the cross and the blood, because that's where the power is. And I just think that's the power people need. You know, I was on, I think, one, one of the times of Fox News, and you can't see anything, you know, it's just a camera. And I don't know how I look, who knows? I just, you know, probably look terrible. And the, the, the guy on the other side, I can't remember who he was, he just says, do you have any, any message you want to give people, you know, for hope? And I said, hope? Oh, yeah, you know, the hope, it's in Christ, and it just gave the gospel message. And I, and I think that's something that people are looking for. That's, that's, the, that's, the thing, that's our message. It's like Paul going to Corinth, you know, Christ and him crucified. And I think if we see ourselves as evangelists, if we see ourselves as ones that are proclaiming the gospel, and as people come into the church, then, we are, then we're their pastor. But until then, we're, their, we're the evangelists to the world. So who am I speaking to? Well, these people need Christ. If they die today, they need to know where to find the answer, and they're not going to hear it. They're not hearing it from anywhere else, you know. So, I just thought this is a great opportunity. I love watching, um, you know, uh, like Ray Comfort. You know, uh, I've had him at the church. He's so funny, and Kirk Cameron. And so, I, I, I think um, evangelism is so important for the pastor to get out on the street. And I love passing out tracts. I'm not an evangelist, you know, but to do the work of the evangelist, I think, is something we all should do. And it gives you a sense of where people are, but it also just gives you a heart for where people are. 
and, and it, it keeps things just real instead of the big picture. It's like, you know, these are just individual. I remember the, um, the first Sunday I was speaking for my dad, and I was just so nervous. The usher comes up. He's nervous for me. He gives me water. Like this, they, everyone can tell, look, he doesn't want to do this, and he's not very good. Can you get somebody else, please? You know, that was what was on everyone's face. And I remember my grandmother sent me a letter, and it was uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. Don't look at their faces. That was the best advice, you know. And I think don't look at their faces and don't listen to what they're asking. Don't, don't try to play their game. And I think of how Christ answered the Pharisees. You know, why do you tempt me? You know, give me a penny. Whose, whose image is on this? And it's like just knowing that what, what their strategy is, is just to ruin your faith, to, to, to get anything on you so they can tear down, you know, the Lord. And so for me, it's like I just want to be that example, and I just want to finish strong. You know, I want to run the race and finish knowing I did everything the Lord wanted me to do. And the best thing to do is lose your life for the sake of the gospel. You know, uh, that's that's what we're here to do. And um and I think just focusing on that, so every time a camera would come out, oh, hey, I get to, I get to preach the gospel again. And uh, I don't care what they ask me. I just, uh, I would just, I would just talk about the blood. I'd talk about Christ. Or, um, and people listened, you know, because they want to know, why are you going through this abuse? They'll listen to you. I've been preaching, you, you know, you, you say the same thing. No one cares until something is happening. And now they go, why are you doing this? You know, and, and you can just say that because the love of Christ constrains me. You know, and he loves you. In the courtroom, I was like, hey, we're praying for you. You know, we're praying for you, Your Honor, and, and, and our prosecutor. You know, hey, we love you guys. Because you know what? We're all going to be dead one day. And all that's going to matter is when you stand before God and you know him. You know, that's it. Everything else is just, you know, we're fighting over deck chairs on the Titanic. You know? So you can have my deck chair. <laughs> and look... I'm sure for a lot of the guys here, when it came to reopening, you're thinking, you know, same thing in my church. I'm thinking, well, even if everybody's in agreement, this happens, the ax falls on me. You know, if there's an outbreak here, we become a super spreader or a vector or all the names it could give us, you know. So there's a, there was a lonely place in all of that, too. Now, I've kind of heard you mention it. How did your own personal relationship with Jesus change in all of this? You know, I think the... <laughs> you know, I, I never used to cry that much, you know, but it's like you just start to think about how much God loves us. And I just started thinking about He, he loves other people so much. And it's like, it's not about me. And it's like it just overwhelms you. Like, you know, God, I've, I put you here. I'm going to be with you. And it was like Acts 18 and and Paul just maybe wanting to get out of Corinth like me. I could so relate to that passage. And, and just how the Lord said, you know, in that night vision, Paul, I'm with you. Put my hand on your shoulder. And I have many people in the city. And that verse has always just been a part of, I think, the ministry of the church in San Jose. Because... There's almost no Christians in the city. And my prayer for so many years is like, Lord, bring revival. If I'm here, I don't want to waste my time. You know, I don't want to be here if I'm not going to be fruitful and effective. Like, Lord, do something. Lord, make, you know, I want the gospel to be more famous 
than what the Silicon Valley is known for. Can you make the gospel more well known than, you know, the companies I used to be a part of and, you know, the, the things I used to do and the commute I used to have. These people that are just, they're living their life every day and it's, it's a waste. They don't know what they're living for and they don't get it. And I just, I just sense the Lord's presence, like he's just there with you. And it's when you need him. And it's just like those footsteps poem. It's like he just carry you. And it's heavy. It's, lo- it's lonely. You know, it's, it's hard when everyone looks at you and just thinks, man, you know, do you know what you're doing? And you have to go back and hear from the Lord. And go, yeah, this is, this is what the Lord wants us to do. And, and I'm so grateful, you know, for my wife. You know, she's like Abigail, you know, before David. Because there's times I'm like David, too. You know, you're just going to go kill Nabal. You know, I think that's Newsom's middle name. And it's like you just want to go and you get that fire time. And you're just like, this is, I've had it. I've had it. You know, I'm calling a lawyer and we're going to go do something. And But it's like that's where the Lord just picks you up and goes, that's not what it's about. You know, don't lose your head and lose the battle. And I just have to not draw back and retreat, but just step back and pray and just get a perspective. And I think just being at the church is so good because... You know, the guys around at the church, they've encouraged me so many times. You know, I think uh, there's times when they want to go just, you know, kill Saul in the cave. (laughs) Just kill him. And all of us together, you know, we're better than any of us by ourselves. And I think to have a staff, like the Lord's put, it's just encouraged my walk with the Lord to go back to the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to really, you know, reckon the old man dead and decide, do I really believe what I believe is real and true and the Lord meets you. It's like the middle of the night. You know, you just wake up in the middle of the night, and it's like I'm in the courtroom again. And I wake up arguing with the judge. I wake up, you know, um, giving counsel to the Lord. This is what we need to do. Defending myself. And I remember on a Sunday message, I just had a rough week, and I was ready just to quit. And I thought, you know, we're going to lose. We're going to lose everything. And I just, like, had had it. And the whole message was just me defending myself. And I look at the very end of the congregation, and they're just like some of the freedom fighters, you know, that came to the church, not because they're even Christian, because they're there, because like, we're going to stand up, we want to fight. And it's been neat to see them come to Christ, a lot of them, most of them. But they're like, yeah, yeah, but it's a, the, the, the sweet old saints that love the Lord look at me like, what's, going, what's wrong with you? You know, and it's when I think about myself that I lose it. But when my eyes are on the Lord, and I just think, you know, the, the waves are going to be boisterous. The wind's going to be hard. But if I can keep my eyes on Christ, if I could just keep my eyes on his promises and to seek his face, I just like walking on the water. But when I sink, and man, it's like the Lord grabs me, and I love that, and he saves me from those moments. And I've had to be saved a lot of times where he'll just say, you know what, why would you doubt? I told you what to do. You know, I told you what we're going to do. Just keep your eyes on me. Let me fight the battle. Just stand. All you have to do is show up. And I don't have to have it all orchestrated or organized. And I don't have to agonize. I don't have to fix people. I just have to just show up. And the Lord does that work. And he does it in my heart first. And if he doesn't do it in my heart, then I can't, I'm, I'm dangerous to people. And, and so for me, it's like I, I know you can ask my family. You know, if you want to know what someone's really like, just ask their family. And, uh, you know, there's times where we pray, and I, I sense the Lord working most in our family devotions, our staff times of prayer. Friday morning, the guys that come have been so encouraging to me. Guys that are just, they just love the Lord, and they just see it, you know. And they have 
been divided from family members and you know other churches that they have maybe come to over a year ago or so. And you just see the unity that God's brought amongst us, not standing against anything, but just standing for Christ and just saying, this is who Jesus is to me. And it's like I, I was telling, uh, telling the judge when he says, can't you just stop? And I said, well, listen, you know, I'm a pastor. I'll be disobeying my Lord if I don't minister to the sheep. You know, I know we have a constitutional right, the First Amendment. He's like, yeah, you do. But I said, the biggest thing is the fruit of the love of what God's pouring out in people's hearts and in my life personally, what I'm going through. And I just, every day I pray and I just know what God wants us to do. I can't, you know, how can I not do that? How can I not uh, bring hope and see God bringing hope into my heart as well at the same time? And to stop that is, um, it'd be a disaster. But, uh, you know, I'm so thankful for the trials. I honestly wouldn't go back and change a thing. Uh, You know, I'm sure I'd change my attitude at times and my heart. But the Lord does that. And and I just, I've grown. I, I definitely, it's like I hear the voice. It's more sensitive. You know, I can just hear his voice when he just says stop. It's usually stop your attitude or, or don't go there, you know, or come over here and just listening for his voice and taking the time to just listen and be quiet uh, is something I, I think I've enjoyed more than uh, any other time. It was interesting. You mentioned last night people ask you what verse really came to life for you. And you said all of them kind of and it, and when you were sharing i could tell when you you were just pulling from different places and some of it was just wonderful and i thought this you know it really has been a season in his life where all kinds of things are opening up i i think for most of us we've thought through the hebrews verse about not neglecting the gathering together of ourselves and obviously for you that had to be one of the verses that that was up front how did you parse through that when you first started you know you're in a courtroom with it you're already just how did you personally just kind of parse through that exhortation there i just appealed you know to the judge saying look this is what this country was founded upon you know god's word it's a foundation for all of our laws you know i told the story you know about uh, i think the mayflower a lot of people will call and ask why are you doing what you're doing and my question to them is, well, let me ask you a question first. Who is on the Mayflower and why did they come here? And not one reporter, even from Fox News, can answer that. Nobody knows. And it's easy to get upset. And, and I've just found through this process of talking to people, they don't know history, but they love history. We love to listen to history. We hate it in school. We hate history class, but we love to hear history. And I think for me, it's like the Bible is the greatest of the historical documents in the world. And how can we not, um, you know, take the Bible as such a foundation in this country and just let it go? We need to hold on to that. And so for me, it was really looking at, and, and there's, again, people in the church that would come up to me, and they'd give me the conspiracy videos, and but they'd give me the scripture, and, the, you know, they'd do the research, because they themselves are going through the same thing I'm going through. You know, they would, I, one guy, uh, Barry, he said, I, I had to, you know, wear my glasses, not contacts. I brought a couple extra clothes. I brought, you know, um, a little knapsack for food. I'm like, why? He says, I thought I was going to jail when I came to church the first Sunday. And, and everyone did. You know, uh, we didn't advertise that. We didn't advertise we were open. But that's how everyone's been thinking. Like, this is going to cost me something. And that was a wonderful process because you, you, you really think through what's important. And sharing, you know, with the judge, I, I just, 
I wanted him to know I wasn't doing this out of animosity or self-righteousness, but out of obedience to God. You know, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a hireling. A hireling is someone who's hired to watch the sheep. I said, but a shepherd is someone who's willing, like our, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. And so I have to be willing to die for the sheep. And Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the gathering together as the manner of some is. And, of course, you know, author of Hebrews, which was probably Paul, I know. Uh, but <laughs> but he, he was referring, of course, probably to, to you know, the, the law and, and as, the, as the manner of some or as the law of some are going to hold you to. But we're not to forsake the gathering of, as Christians. Even if the current magistrates and the law or mandates come our way, you can't gather and, I mean, the history of the world, we've never seen this shutdown like this. It's Leviticus says we're supposed to isolate the sick. I shared that. So just a lot of scriptures came to mind. And I think when you open up the Bible, it's so logical. It's so truth, you know, truthful. And it's like C.S. Lewis said, if, you know, if you start searching for truth, you always will arrive at the same place. And, and I, I just challenge people to search for truth. And the gospel is, is something ultimately it's icing on the cake. It's, it's what God offers us, you know, to those that are dying. I remember going outside the courtroom, and uh, there was one of these reporters, and uh, he's belligerent. He was lying about us all the time, you know, Channel 7, you know. And uh, he was asked, he was the only one out there this time because they all collaborate now, so there's just one reporter. And he asked why we weren't wearing masks. And uh, Bob, you know, he doesn't want me to answer something because I'll say it wrong. But I remember... He said, go ahead, you can, you can answer it. And I talked to this reporter before, and, and I just said to him, I said, look, you're asking me why I'm not wearing a mask and people here aren't wearing a mask, but let me ask you, why are you wearing a mask? And he says, because, you know, you can catch the virus. What are you, you know, don't you understand that? And I go, yeah, but what's the real reason you're wearing one? The real reason is because you're afraid to die. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2. That's why Jesus Christ came to die for us, because he came to set us free from the slavery which you're in right now. The people around you, we're not crazy. We're just free from this master that has enslaved us to the fear of death. And you don't have to be afraid to die if you knew who Christ is. So that's why we're not doing that. And he didn't argue with it. I, and I think that's the thing with the judge, too. He nodded his head at some times. And I think even the prosecutor. I mean, they're looking for truth, too. You've got to remember, we have truth. And if we bury it, I just think of the end of Matthew 24, the warnings, you know, to, to the labor. If we, if we don't work and we have a time to work, you know, why it's day. You know, there's going to be a night when no one can work, Jesus said. And I think he's going to come. In an hour we know not, and we better be found working. If we think he's not going to come, we're going to start doing things that are wrong. And, and I think the truth is what we do, is we work by planting the seeds, by giving out truth, and be ready in season and out of season. And I think there's times I'm not ready, or I, I'm not, you know, my heart's not right. Uh, but I, I still need to be ready for that answer, and I need to do it all the time. And, and, and it's truth never changes. And... Uh, I think people appreciate it when you tell them the truth. They may not like you, but they appreciate, you know, that you care about them and then you enough to tell them the truth. It, it is interesting sometimes even people that are adversarial respect the fact that they know there's no baloney while you're talking because they live in a world of baloney. 
you know, the reporters are so funny. We've had some reporters that come up, hey, how you doing? I want to do a little interview, you know, with you here. And yeah, I'm a Christian too. And then the camera goes on. So you're trying to kill everybody in the town. You know, it's like. <laughs> it's funny. And then afterwards, he's like, you know, I just had to do that. We're friends still kind of thing. And I'm like, confused. But that's what it is. They, uh, they live in a world of baloney. Uh, they lie and they know everyone else lies. And I even said in the courtroom, like, look, you're calling me a liar. It's something that wasn't true. Here's what happened. Here's what's going on. If you want, I can go get that person, you know, and bring him in here. I said, I don't think you understand. I'm not playing your game. We're, 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 the reason we're not obeying what you're asking is because we're obeying what God says. And we're not trying to fight you. And so, you, you know, look at what we're doing. We're, we're doing it not because we hate people, but because we love people, because God loves people. And, uh, you know, they, they, I think they really appreciate that. I think, uh, you know, my dad was talking to one of the lawyers afterwards. He, he got one for like a half hour. And she listens to all my messages, you know, because she's trying to find stuff. And, you know, she... Um, <laughs> But she's looking for truth. She says, I'm depressed. You know, in a private Zoom call with conversation, she said, I'm depressed. I'm looking for, for, you know, get out of this thing and hope. I can't take it anymore. And I said, why don't you just come to church? I know you're signing most of our fines, but I'm like, man, it's really powerful. You can see other people and their testimonies. It's great. And, and I just think they, they respond to that so well. They're like, wow, I should think about that. And it, that's what Jesus did, just open invitation, constantly inviting people, letting people know, hey, this church is for anybody. It's not a club. And hey, we're just a bunch of you know sinners going to heaven. That's who goes. It's forgiven people. Have you been forgiven? It's so simple. And people are just looking for someone who, who lives it and I think believes it. And that's what we want to be. I want to be found as someone who's laboring and ready to get, you know, just doing what the Lord would want me to do. So when he comes, we're not, you know, taking a hiatus, taking a vacation, but we're actually laboring and, and just keeping our, you know, thought strong, like uh, Alistair Begg was saying, just for him, it's being disciplined to write the notes out before the Lord, so he doesn't try to impress or, you know, rely on his, you know, old message in his mind, but something that's current and keeps him humble, I think, and accountable, and it's, it's just a great way to live. <laughs> I just, I mean, I would just want to say to all you guys, I'm so thankful for you. I come here, and I, I'm just blessed. I think this is the best conference uh, you know, I came out here six years ago, and I'm, I'm just impressed by all your guys' heart for the Lord, and, and I just think, you, you know, I love the East Coast, because you just don't mix, mince words. You just say it like it is, and it's like truth is truth, it's not truth, and, um, you know, pray for persecution. We call it the COVID revival. It, it's great, I mean, uh, in one sense, because the Lord is someone you have to hear from, and when you listen for His voice... And you take the time because you're desperate to hear it. You know, just like in Proverbs 2, seeking him like silver and gold. I, Lord, I need your wisdom today. And I know that you're going to give it to me because James says you will. Lord, what am I to do today? And I know that you're good. I know that you're going to answer. And he always does. He always comes through. And it's just getting everyone on the same page. Getting everyone, you know, reading. And my wife is saying, you know, if we were going through this in our church five years ago, ten years ago, we, we couldn't keep the doors open. We would have a disaster. Uh, we, we, we would have all the people lining up to tell, uh, tell the media how bad the pastor is, probably. You know, I don't know. It was just a really difficult. We weren't on the same page as the church. 
and to get everyone on the same page, get your, your family on the same page, to get the church. I had a guy in town, and he took me out to lunch to tell me, you know, I, I need to come and go to this pastor's meeting. And the pastors are thinking I'm some prideful, high-rolling guy and, you know, all this, and I won't come to the meetings. And I go to this pastor, go, I'm, I'm teaching your son's Bible class at the time you're having the meeting, you know. I'm not trying to avoid you guys so much. I just, uh, I just don't agree that, um, you know, we should talk about it. I really think we should be doing something. You know, we need to be doing something. And, and I think that's the challenge is, 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 is doing it. And I asked him, how's it going with your family? Because your son's in my class. Oh, yeah, my son's doing terrible. Well, how's it going with your church? Oh, man, all the elders are fighting. Are you open yet? No, we just do the Zoom thing, and I do my message this time and all this. And I said, you know, I was like that too. It took some time, but you can do this. You need to get your wife and you on the same page, your kids. You need to get the, the, your elders and just get everyone on the same page. The best thing to do is just start reading through the Bible together, and it's so transforming. And he said, you know, maybe I should think about that. I said, yeah, do that first, and then come back and rebuke me. I'll be ready next time. But um, it wasn't a prideful thing. I think that's, that's the truth. I was just like him, no different. And I was just telling him, hey, I know where you are, and man, my heart goes out to you. I've had terrible things happen. You know, demon, deacon possessed people, you know. Um, <laughs> and all that is really just, it's just making you a pastor. At the end of your life, you know, you're going to have the softest heart and the thickest skin, you know. And that's what God's doing so that you won't. And, um, you know, I was talking to David Guzik before. And it's like, you know, what's so important is just that we have our heart soft. I think of Job 23, keep, Lord, keep my heart soft in this time. And uh, we want to get out from underneath the load. We want to just leave. We want to just run away. But stay right there. And that's where the Lord's going to meet you. And that's where he's going to keep your... And, and that's what I'd say with the Lord is just, my heart's never been softer for people. And uh, just compassionate. And uh, just, just seeing me. I, I can care less. If this all goes away tomorrow and um, the church opens up, uh, like someone was telling me at lunch, like they're going to almost be sad. They're in Washington area and they have, you know, same kind of lockdowns we do and they say man you know i've just grown to love what god's doing in people's lives i almost don't want this to end because it's causing people to think about their mortality and it's great on the street you can just see the people that are scared to death and you walk up to them hey you don't have to be scared let me tell you why and they'll listen to you and they're open and i've never had that in our town so it's, it's just such a great opportunity and i think the church being open is 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 i I just can imagine. My wife will say to me all the time, what, what if we didn't open the church? What if we didn't open the doors of the church? I remember the first, um, uh, the, the next week we're going to open it. I was um, telling everyone, hey, we're going to open the doors of the church. And I talked about the hospitals and the history of what the church has done in America. And just said, you know what? We're, gonna, we're never going to close the church again because it's a hospital. You know, and the Mercury News, all they put is, pastor says, never close church again, you know, and brags and makes me look terrible and it's all a big lie, you know. And um, it's just, that's what the world's going to do. And uh, it was about Christmas time. Uh, one of our, our uh, staff members in the, in the school, really sweet lady, Anna, she used to work for uh, the Bush White House. She worked in the White House. She does our accounting. And. She came to me and she says, you know, um, the media's finally figured it out. And I said, what's that? Because they were showing up at everything. Just, She says, they realize they're only helping you. <laughs> I said, I didn't think of that. I thought they were hurting. I thought they were trying to, you know, ruin us. She says, they, yeah, they did too. But they, they realized that they're just telling everyone the church is open and they keep coming. And it was just... Uh, <laughs> 
a beautiful thing. Never advertised once. They stop bothering us, the media. Now they just completely ignore us. So, so being hassled is the secret of church growth. <laughs> now, all right, two more things. One is um, an exhortation for us. And there's a lot of guys that aren't here. You know, some of us were able, because our church is more established, to use media and to keep some services going while we were closed down. But there's Calvary pastors that had 30 people or 40 people, and the money that came in, you know, they're still tent makers, and the money paid for rent. They, they lost the building. They're trying to start again, and nobody's coming back. We were kind of in a little bit of a different situation. So I know there's some out there that are really discouraged, and there's probably some of us sitting right here depending on which way this goes, who are going to be facing similar things, you know. Um, do you have, and I'm sure you've given it over and over in different ways, but an exhortation that you would give to those that are outside listening, really kind of discouraged, and to the guys that are here that may be facing the same thing in the future? Yeah, I, I think you just need to be ready for persecution, you know, just like Paul says, and to endure it. And to count on it. And then if it doesn't happen, then it's like, oh, great, it didn't happen today. But just expect it to happen. And, and I think the discouragement, I go through that too. Like uh, uh, Spurgeon got depressed, as you know, Alistair was uh, quoting from earlier. I think all of us go through those times of discouragement. And, you, you know, I remember my wife said we had a church split some years ago. And she couldn't come to church on Sundays for a while. She just couldn't because all the people that were gone. And she would look at all of her friends and the people that, you know, accused me of, terrible things that weren't true and it was hard to deal with because I'd answer questions every week and you know you go through those kinds of situations and and I think what you want to know is just that there's people that will pray for you like you know like like you've prayed for me Joe and I know my dad and, and others and I'm just so thankful for those to call and have that kind of group I remember years and years ago I was 17 and I listened to Ralph Reese give a message and I hadn't really met him before except when I was a kid and I went up to him afterwards and asked him how to live this life that he talked about, you know, how to have victory and how to have this blessing and all the things. He never said how to get there. You know, he just said, no, man, this is what you need to do and live in this great life. But he never said how to get there. So I went up to him and he says, are you Don McClure's son? I said, yeah. He's like, oh, man, you poor guy. That was his first word he said to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him, you know, oh, Ralph, how do you live that life? I was listening to your message, but I just want to know what you do to have this blessing, this, this heaven on earth, this success, or whatever you want to call it. How do you do that? And he said, you know, the best advice I got, and I'll give it to you, is surround your, yourself with people who love Jesus more than you, and you're going you're gonna to thrive. You know, and, and those Christians that say they love God, but they really don't, then don't spend time with those people. Seek out people. Find friends that love Jesus more than you. And I took that advice, and I've continued to do that, and I think that's helped. And so many times, I don't know what to do. You have those guys around you say, hey, instead of trying to figure out how to do anything, I can show this situation, can you pray for me? And to have those people you know that hear from the Lord and are praying for you, it's so, so important. And I just encourage you to not be uh, discouraged, you know? Uh, I go back to Joshua 1 all the time. You know, you've got to look at Joshua. He was discouraged. That's why the Lord says, don't be discouraged, 
Because that's what we face all the time. I'm going to lose. We're going to lose. No one, people are leaving. There's nobody here. What if I make a wrong decision? And you just got to forget all that stuff and say, what if this is the last Sunday I have on this planet? I'm going to preach like this is my last Sunday. I'm going to pray the Lord comes back this week. And I'm going to pray that everyone I know gets saved. And just live that way. And it's so sobering. It's so, I think, uh, encouraging to have people praying for you. And, and, you know, you're counting the cost when you're with those kinds of people. You're always looking at how they're living their life, how they're counting the cost. And I think that just, you pick that up. More things, are, of course, are, are they're caught, I think, than taught. You know, I, I listen to Joe all the time. I steal all of his messages, and I never give him credit for it. And it's wonderful, you know. Um, <laughs> I remember you called one years and years ago after my, my dad left 20 years ago. And, and uh, I said, my dad left. I mean, it's like he left and... I'm all alone here. And he's like, well, he left you a pulpit. What are you complaining about? I go, yeah, yeah, he did. And then he said, it's great for me because I just have two places to call to get all my tapes. I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you know, I just got to call Costa Mesa. I get John, your dad, and Chuck's, and then I call and get Damien's. I said, you listen to those guys every week? He said, yeah. Do you read Spurgeon? Yeah. Worsby? Yeah. And I list all these other ones, and he goes, yeah, I read all that stuff. I go, I'm just going to listen to you. I've saved myself all kinds of time. <laughs> But I think staying, staying in the Word is so good because if you're just thinking about what you're going to teach, you're not looking at who's there or who's not there. Well, if you steal from two guys, it's plagiarism. If you steal from 12, it's research. <laughs> <laughs> so would you do this? Would you, um, would you pray for us? As we close this Q&A thing, would you just... You know, you, you're touched more deeply. You know, Paul says, you know, in Second Corinthians chapter 1 about the God of all comfort, Father, all mercy, comforting others, you know, knowing what that feels like. Would you pray for us? Lord, we just thank you that we can come to you or that we can cast our cares upon you because you care so much for us. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us would just know, well, just as you've shown us in those times of trials and difficulties, just how much you care for us. Lord, you don't just alleviate the pressure, take the burden, join us in the battle, so to speak, but Lord, you show us how much you care for us personally. Lord, I pray that we would just see that love, that we would just experience that love that's been talked about already a couple times here, just to be reminded of your great love for us. Lord, it's not what we do for you. It's what you've done for us. And I just pray for each one of our hearts, Lord, that we would begin just to look up. Lord, that we wouldn't look around. We wouldn't look within. We wouldn't worry about the past or the future. But we would just enjoy your love and your presence. Lord, that we would enjoy the journey that we would sense, Lord, just as you want us to be living, that the time is short. Lord, that we don't know how much longer we're going to physically live on this planet when you're going to return and that you're longing for us to be thinking more about what you're preparing for us in heaven than anything we can do for you on earth, Lord, that you want us just to be focused on you. And that love just overflows our cup, Lord, that you would just overflow each and every one of our lives. Lord, that the discouragement and the depression would leave. Lord, the fear of man. Lord, the, the struggles that we're going through, that you would just bring strength and healing Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord, just knowing when our kids go away from you, when they get hurt, Lord, just how that aches and hurts our hearts. 
and when we don't trust you and when we get away from you, just how that hurts your heart, that we would be sensitive to what we're doing to you, Lord, that we would be aware of how you are seeing things and that we would just trust you more with our lives and with our future, Lord, that we would just believe you more and just let you just do that which you want to do in us. Lord, I pray that you would just heal and just renew and strengthen and, Lord, just empower us and that your great grace would be upon us all, just like it was there in Acts 4. Lord, that we would just have that power of your Holy Spirit, but your grace would just be heavier. Lord, we'd be more aware of your love and your grace than we ever have. Lord, that we'd be more aware of your peace than we ever have because the world is longing for those things and it's only found, Lord, in, in, in you. And I pray that you would en- en- enable us to see the lost in our town, even those that hate us, even those that are despitefully using us and saying all kinds of evil against us falsely. Lord, show us how we can do good and love them and win them for that we might see them in heaven someday, that we might recognize your love for them as well. Lord, I just thank you for the healing you bring. Lord, just for that, that narrow way that you've called us to walk in. Lord, broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is that gate, Lord. Narrow is that way. Help us to walk, Lord, just as you walked to be obedient. Lord, thank you for your love, for your friendship. And God, continue just to draw closer to us as we draw near you. Lord, I know you promised to do the same and draw near to us. Continue to do that, I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.